Welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, with a private practice where I specialize in working with women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll be discussing all things childhood, womanhood, and motherhood, and everything in between. I'll be interviewing various women who will be sharing their birth stories, as well as others who will be providing tips to help us be able to navigate this crazy world that we live in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. In today's episode, we will be discussing trauma. This topic may be triggering for some listeners. In the event that you would like to reach out for mental health assistance or help, please contact 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264. Okay, so I am so grateful to have one of my closest friends as a guest on the show, Deidre Bauer. Let me introduce you. So you are a licensed psychologist. You have a doctorate in psychology and clinical psychology, um, trauma-focused psychologist at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Welcome, Deidre! Hey, <laughs> so be here. Totally honored to be invited to be here and really looking forward to our discussion. Yes. So I love Deidre so much. I have known you since 2004, I think. We met in undergrad playing soccer. And then um, while playing soccer, we discovered that we both had the same major and, um, in psychology. And then we had a couple of classes together. And although originally you're from Canada, um, you've kind of been floating around the States um, getting your... Um, clinical hours, as well as when you went to grad school and you got your doctorates, and currently now you're in California. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we, do you remember our um, undergrad internship yes. with, uh, what was it, Prevent Child Abuse Georgia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. That was... Um, working at the hospital and that's like full circle isn't it like in thinking about it um working at the hospital i was we were educating moms on like just tips on being able to prevent child abuse yeah and here you are specializing and working with moms i know right yeah i didn't so, think about yeah. that <laughs> that's interesting okay so when we had talked about why you chose to specialize in trauma you told me that basically in your study of psychology, you realized that it was very apparent to you that when seeing and treating clients that um, the root in a lot of the issues that they were dealing with was that they were having underlining trauma. And that was kind of like the cause of why they were in some of the distress or different situations that they were faced with. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that once you kind of do a deep dive to the, to the trauma work, that it's it's hard to see things um, not having a trauma um, origin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just even looking at depressive symptoms, attention deficit, um, 
the different personality disorders that we talk about, um, it's not unusual that these folks may have had um, developmental trauma, mm. right? Like looking at like their attachment styles with their parents and how that impacts current day functioning. Um, and also, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's so much to, to trauma because there's, you know, a single incident trauma that we might more prevalently think about or be exposed to media and like, um, in culture, just looking at like a, a natural disaster or a severe car accident or um, a sexual assault, something really concrete that we um, know happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one type of trauma, but there's also um, complex trauma, right? There's people who maybe um, were sexually abused for a long period of time, mm-hmm. um, people who have been um, inflicted with different types of abuse, whether it be emotional, um, psychological, physical, um, and then also looking at then that developmental trauma, which is, you know, quite a lot about the relationship that we had with our primary caregivers growing up, um, and how, um, that relationship impacts our ability to self-regulate, to self-soothe, and to be able to connect with others. Um, in the future. So it's definitely Um, extensive. It is extensive and um, yeah, it's extensive and it's once you dive more into looking at all of the the different pieces of trauma and how trauma can um, manifest um, in our lives, it's it's hard to not want to go straight for the trauma and work on uh, kind of like digging up the roots, right? Like we all have these different symptoms and manifestations. We might have different addictions to things. Um, So we can create the, treat the symptoms and apply band-aids or we can do some more deep work and actually be able to live more fulfilling, richer lives. I kind of think about it like if we're just applying a band-aid, then, you know, we help someone overcome like an eating disorder, but then they turn to mm, something um, else. Uh, they have an addiction of online shopping, right. right? Like there's like something else manifests um, or depression or different things. So how can we kind of uproot things so that we can be more functional um, and more connected to ourselves and to others? Gotcha. Okay. I'm so glad that you do this work. (laughs) That's good. You're needed. Um, And the reason why I wanted to have you as a guest on the show is basically the podcast um, is just about like women in general, in addition to the fact that I specialize in maternal mental health and women, as far as like just people in general, face so many experiences or um, levels of trauma and especially like in the current climate that we live in today. Um, I can't even watch like the George Floyd video. I even just like hearing the stories like over and over just how it affects me. And like we just booked um, a short getaway to Charleston next month um, because like hopefully the crowds would have died down and to be able to go to the beach and it's a house that's directly on the beach. But just the feeling of we got to drive through South Carolina and, you know, we got to go to Charleston, me and my black family and like how that feels, even though nothing necessarily has directly happened to me. 
Um, and so with all of that said, um, women have had birth trauma and um, or experienced issues with their pregnancy or with becoming a mother because they've had past issues of sexual abuse or they're in a domestic violence situation or they've had a traumatic relationship with their mother and that affects them of how they are a mother or how they parent. And so it's so many complexities, like I said. And so how would you define trauma? Like for someone who may be completely outside of the mental health world and putting it in a layman's terms, how would you word it? Yeah, so um, trauma is, you know, sometimes we think about it as a specific event that happens, um, but, you know, looking into the work of trauma, it, it's really more so our, our response to what happens to us. It's what happens to us internally, and there's this um, disconnection that occurs, not just um, well, it, I mean, there can be a disconnection for us to our emotions, a disconnection from our bodies, um, a disconnection from the people in our world. Um, so like a real kind of cutting off that can occur when, when um, we experience a trauma. Um, so it's basically when our system gets so overwhelmed by something that we were unable to integrate it fully and make sense or understand it. Um, so it kind of gets stuck. Mm. And so when we hit different triggers in our lives, it can kind of reignite that trauma. And we can actually, we, we might not feel like we're in the present moment anymore. Mm. We're, we're taken back to, to that original event that maybe um, where that trauma occurred for us. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of like getting stuck Yeah, um, would be a way of describing it. Okay. And so how do you, or how would someone, like when you were talking about it, which makes complete sense, and I know that we're both in the field, so we get it, but for someone who's identified the fact of, okay, I've had an, a traumatic event and I realized this is why I behave this way in relationships mm -hmm. or with my family, so I'm going to go to therapy, but I know that you're going to dig up all this stuff that I gotta, that I gotta deal with. <laughs> um, how do you like prep clients for that? Because sometimes people come into counseling and they think I'm gonna come out feeling great. Um, but you know, it's, it's a little dark there for a little while <laughs> before the sunlight comes out. Um, how do you have that conversation with them so that they're not so apprehensive to deal with that, that heavy part of them? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. I think that's such an important thing to address. And um, I I find, and I don't know if you find this also, that sometimes people um, come to therapy and they they just, they, they let it all out, mm -hmm. right? Like it, Because of what you said, like there's this idea that if I'm able to do this, then I'm going to feel better. Um, whereas um, as mental health professionals, we know that that we need to slow it down, yeah. right? Um, that, you know, even in that initial clinical interview that we do, um, you know, we want to um, introduce the, the, the trauma, perhaps talk a little bit about things, but we don't want to go into great detail, mm -hmm. right? Because if we go into great detail right from the get-go, um, 
we have the potential for for triggering right and and just and almost like recreating that trauma in the moment which is not helpful yeah right so there really is um the necessary pacing that goes on with with coping with trauma but that even so when we're pacing we also have there's things that are going to come up and they're going to be hard. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason that the trauma stays stuck is that it's been so hard for us to sit with those emotions, those difficult emotions. Like we're human. We don't want to feel terrible. Mm -hmm. We don't want to feel awful. So it's a very normal human reaction to look for ways to either numb, to distract, to just, you know, suppress, suppress, suppress. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we know as as professionals is that that's that's what keeps that trauma stuck, and that's what can lead to further issues down the road. Um, so I, I I let folks know when when we start that initial appointment that you know you're coming here to to feel better and to heal, um, but it is important for you to know that as we go through this and as we're talking about it, it's not unusual for things to get harder mm-hmm. before they. Right. Please bring it to me if you know you start having nightmares. Um, maybe your sleep disrupted. Things can kind of get off kilter. So I think when when folks approach um, treatment for trauma, um, thinking about like, is this a really good time in my life for me to be addressing this? Yeah, too? that's a good point. <laughs> really, a good time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, also considering that, and so I, I, I'm always just very respectful of of people's wishes. Like maybe they're not ready to go there, yeah. and and that's okay. Um, and maybe we can work on um, building some other skills and things to kind of manage what's coming up for you. And maybe that's work that you're going to do later down the road too. Gotcha. Okay. That's a good point. Because um, it isn't like, next month will be a good month. Yeah, I, I think I can, I can tackle it. <laughs> but um, how, how would one know? Because I, I personally would think most people, but you're the expert, so you correct me. But I would think most people have experienced some form of trauma in some way at some point, rather it was a car accident or where it was um, bullying at school or something more intense, like um, being a victim of a hate crime on a college campus or something Mm -hmm. like that. But that's my, my thoughts, but you tell me how common would you say it is that people experience some form of trauma? Oh, I, like I said at the beginning, I, it's hard for me to, to think that anyone hasn't experienced some form of trauma. Um, because like you said, even um, watching what happened with George Floyd on the media is yeah. is traumatic yeah. for some, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, we're exposed to so much. Um, even if we had, even if we lived in like this sheltered little box and never came out of it, like if we're watching TV, we're probably going to get traumatized by some of the things that we're seeing in the news. Um, you talk about what's going on right now too with the, the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and how that's really triggering a lot of folks. Right. Like you're seeing a lot of really extreme behaviors mm-hmm. and people are quick to judge, but you know, when you think about that person who's hoarding all of the toilet paper and all of the, um, 
antibacterial wipes. That's probably someone who's feeling really unsafe right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm getting away from your question, mm-hmm. but I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't experienced some type of trauma. Gotcha. So how, knowing that, how would someone, like if someone hasn't identified and had put a label on it, that was a traumatic experience for me, or um, what happened to me at that time, that was trauma. For someone who doesn't know that, mm-hmm. how would they be able to identify it? Like, what would be signs for them to let them know that that probably was an issue and maybe they should talk to someone? Yeah. Yeah, so I I think that can be challenging because it, there's no concrete answer, right? It, something that may be traumatizing to me might be nothing to you, right? Like it might be a, a bad experience, but it, it's not something that it sticks with you and, and causes further issues for you. Um, I think, you know, some of those more acute circumstances, so if something recently happened and um, maybe you're starting to um, have difficulties falling and staying asleep, um, mm. maybe your eating patterns have shifted, either like not feeling hungry, um, losing your appetite, feeling nauseous, um, or, or, you know, overeating, Um it can look like many things like typically like um either a hyper aroused or a hypo aroused state mm-hmm. so hyper arousal would be like being really um on edge mm-hmm. and kind of like easily spooked by things but constantly basically surveying your your surroundings for threats yeah. um so and, and feeling more amped up whereas the hypo arousal might mean that you're oversleeping and that you're feeling really lethargic and mm-hmm. you're not able to engage in the things you're losing interest in pulling away. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's many signs that, that can come up for folks um, when, when looking at trauma. And I think that the, 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 the uh, I'm just thinking because I, I want to say, like, I, I think meeting with a therapist and talking about it might be a really good way to help um, if you're experiencing something and you're, you're not sure whether or not it's trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how necessary it is to define it as trauma as long as you're, you're doing the necessary things to take care of yourself and um, and uh, heal from right. that. Um, gotcha. Does that Yeah, question? yeah. I think that's a good answer. And the reason why I asked, because um, we've talked about this, but I wanted to share my trauma story today. And when it resurfaced for me, we knew each other because this came back up in 2007. But I don't think, like, we've talked about it, but we've never, like, talked about it. <laughs> Especially, like, now, later on in our careers or whatnot. Um, but I didn't realize it was trauma for me. Um, and po- mostly because I was so young, it didn't happen. But even as I became older, I didn't realize how it affected me. And how I just moved out, moved throughout the world and how I interacted with people. And basically, um, what had happened, it was when I was about three and a half years old, I went to stay the night at my aunt Dot's house. And she had two daughters, um, my cousin Sandra and my cousin Evelyn. 
And um, Sandra was 21 and Evelyn was 18. And my Aunt Dot was in her early 40s. My parents um, were going out. I think it was like my father's class reunion party or some sort of ball. And so I was to stay the night over my aunt's house, which was something that I frequently did because from what I was told, I had like a really good relationship with them. So behind the scenes, my aunt was going through a divorce from her husband who was physically abusive. His name was John Hightower. And um, she had kicked him out of the house and her daughters were not his children. She had her daughters from a previous marriage. And they did not like him. They were very protective of their mother. I even have a journal that my um, cousin Sandra had where she even stated that she did not go off to school so she could stay home with her mother just to kind of like oversee her. So the night that I stayed over there, like I'm three years old, so I'm like oblivious to these things. But the night that I stayed over there, long story short, he murdered her and her two children. And I witnessed it because I shared a bed with my Aunt Dot in him when he killed him. And um, I remember some of the things that he said to me as he was doing it. And I remember when my cousin tried to run and leave the house. And then I remember when he left and I went to sleep. And I don't remember when my parents came. I only remember my mom telling me as I became an adult that they had came home from like having a good time to their house and it was like 2 a.m. in the morning and she was saying that she was putting her hand on the doorknob and was about to turn it and she was just like let's go pick up Keisha and my dad was like okay and although it was it was odd for them because typically they would you know stay out sleep in they got a babysitter (laughs) and but They just was like, okay. And they went over there. And when they walked into the house, they were greeted with my cousin's body and immediately called 911, which fortunately happened the way that it did. Because once they called, the police was able to track John down in a nearby county and apprehend him because he'd taken my aunt's car and they didn't know where he was going to go. And the only thing I remember... After John had left was the next day on my mother's side, my aunt, her sister had picked me up and I just stayed with my mother's side of the family for like the next couple of weeks. Um, I didn't attend the funeral or anything like that. And when I got older, I asked my mom why she never put me in therapy. And she told me that she had consulted with some of the people who worked on the case. And they told her that I was too young to have really remembered anything. But I remembered everything. And I even remember the floor plan of her house. I remember every detail of what occurred. And I never talked about it. But up until... 2007 when someone would bring it up to me I would just immediately cry like I would just break out into tears and I had like this disconnect because I had no remember no memory of my relationship with these people um just what I was told but it was just something about being asked that just made me cry and then it was in 2007 when you and I had known each other where we had talked about it was John was also the first person that was up to be um, 
on death row in the state of Georgia because he was sentenced to death um, at the time that he was convicted, but they had suspended the death penalty in Georgia because there were some cases where they falsely executed people. So they ended the death penalty, but then when they then allowed it to happen again, he was the first person that was up. And so it was like big national news because it was like a big deal. And I realized I could never be a celebrity because reporters were coming at the gate of my apartment complex, calling my phone, leaving voicemails, trying to get an interview with me. And I'm just like in my senior year of undergrad at Clayton State, just trying to live my life. And um, so we had to go to a hearing where we were interviewed in front of three judges where they had to, because John had went through three appeals, where they had to make a final decision if they were going to go through it. And I had spoke um, about it since I was there and gave my thoughts and feelings about it. And it was somehow like cathartic to go through that because it was like after speaking about it and I gave one interview to a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He wrote a really beautiful piece, but it was like that I just felt kind of like freed of it. Um, talking about it no longer made me cry. And then I had even like gathered some of their things from my grandmother's house. Like I would say my cousin's journal, her yearbook, pictures, um, and just hearing about like the people that they were, how they both had like opportunities to go to college, but they didn't go. And um, my cousin Sandra, although she was 21, she was pregnant at the time that she was killed, but she was an early in the pregnancy. And um, all of that, even just having to go through the whole the execution process. Um, they call you after it's been done, after they've given him the lethal injection to let you know. They invite you to come if you want to, but I had no desire to. Um, they tell you what the last meal is that he had. And um, even just like some of his family members and hearing their comments, some of the organizations that may have worked with him while he was in prison, like I think he was some sort of like mentor and got like some sort of accolades while he was there. But how I felt like it affected me was um, I would consider myself as a, a very chill, reserved person. And I am someone that picks my battles and decides how I want to distribute my energy. Like sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, Keisha, how are you so chill? But I, I guess in my interpretation, <laughs> I, I can see how things end up when we just, act on impulse or um i i just analyze things before i confront things or how i conflict resolve um is more of a thoughtful approach because of that experience and then i also feel like my experience with men in dating was different i didn't i kind of shied away from female friends fathers Whenever I would go over girls' houses, I just didn't feel safe around them. When my parents would have, like, normal disagreements, I would just automatically assume someone was going to get killed, even though it was just a disagreement. And I did not do well with aggressive men. Um, and not even aggressive, like, they were trying to, like, be aggressive physically, 
But just if someone just had like a more aggressive tone, it would make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And my husband, you've known him, David, he's West African. He talks very loud and he's a very <laughs> lively person. And it took a while for me to work on how I received how he spoke because for in some times when he would be very animated and just telling me something, it would make me feel uncomfortable. And those were just some of the things that I had to work through. But I didn't realize that was trauma until I was much older. And I didn't realize how it affected me until I was much older. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, which I know um, I know that you certainly like worked through it and this is something that you wanted to do, but you know, honoring that it takes a lot of courage to share your, your personal experiences mm-hmm. and um, and to to be able to you know kind of use that to to highlight um, just what your own experience was in in healing from trauma um, in hopes that it can help others too, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Um, is it okay if I ask you a question? Yeah, please. <laughs> um, I I'm just I'm curious um, what. Um, what helped you to realize that it was trauma? What what was that kind of switching point for you that, that helped you to recognize that? Because as you said, like there was a lot of evidence throughout time, mm-hmm. right? But you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what helped you to, to recognize that? I think it was like, an, uh, I think first of all, going to school for psychology, um, mm-hmm. And I think like having studied it and then I worked for Department of Family and Children's Services and Mm -hmm. worked with kids who experienced trauma. I saw how I behaved in situations um, that may not have caused for me to be hyper vigilant or um, aroused. Um, I would have like fight or flight in situations. And then I would kind of like look back on why I reacted that way or why did I do that. And I also had a lot of um, nightmares, recurrent. And they weren't about the event, but they were about a man chasing me. And they would just like come up like every few months, I would just have them back to back. And I would always be like running away in this dream. And this man that I couldn't see would always be trying to catch me. And in the interview clippings that I had read when he was on trial and they asked him, why didn't he kill me? And his response was, "Um, the baby never did anything to me. Everybody else did, but nothing about her. And something about those words just had always stood, stuck with me. And so I don't know if it was like a part of that. And then... um, I also had to do a senior project over um, something that like significant in your life that had happened. And I thought that I wanted to do it on that, but I had like nothing in our household in any evidence of it. So I had to go to our local college and I had went to one of those old film computer things and found like the newspaper clippings and just reading it made me cry. And I just kind of like wanted to get to the bottom of why I kept having those reactions. 
Well, and I, what an example of how, how it's stuck, right? Mm-hmm. Because when, when you're having those reactions, when people are asking you, were asking you about it, um, after you hadn't, you know, really been addressing it for so long, it was as though it was freshened in that moment, mm-hmm. right? right? Which is part of what, what trauma is, is that it's, we're no longer in the present moment. The way those memories are stored are different mm-hmm. from from normal memories. And so we are literally, it's like being a time traveler. You're back in that trauma yeah. in those moments. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that, that piece of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, but like, think about how, like you described like your nature, right? Like you are more of an analytical, like mm-hmm. sit back and, assess the situation before responding and I I I can't help but think about how protective that is too mm-hmm. right? right to be able to read your environment before you step in whether with your voice and or in whatever way because you don't know who's there what's there and how right. folks are going to react right um so in you know some folks might be more reactive right but it can also take on that other um you know, demeanor in that, that you're, you're pretty cautious about how you approach things. Right. And that keeps you safe. Yeah. And it feels safe. And I'm like that in situations and I'm, I'm like that in how I evaluate people in my life, like who to allow in and not to allow to get closer. I think it was someone that I'm now I've gotten closer with. Um, she described me when she first met me as being stoic. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, I thought you were just very stoic. And I could see that like now, like stepping back that I I am like, let me gather information about you. <laughs> and I'll just be kind of black and white until like I'll get to like know you. And it's not like I'm, I'm, um putting myself on like a pedestal or anything like that, but it's just kind of like assessing the situation um, beforehand. It's a, it's a ability factor, right? If we, if we show our emotion, if we kind of take away that poker face, mm-hmm. then, then those people know something about us and then potentially could use that against us in right. some ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like I totally can, can understand um, people who deal with, trauma on that level um when they are protective um of themselves because it it is like a horrific situation to have to be in to to witness that Mm -hmm. especially like at that age and to have to carry something like that and i wish i could go back in time to the person who told my mother she wouldn't need therapy because (laughs) she's only three and a half i was like who was that (laughs) play therapy play therapy Oh, for sure. And yeah, we, yeah, that, that's, you know, I think for so long and over so many generations, adults really sold children short for what they are privy to and how impacted they are by their environment. And while you may not have been operating on an adult level because your brain wasn't fully formed, yeah. there was certainly your, your child way of, of, of um, responding and reacting and it doesn't mean that you didn't have a reaction right. or that you didn't experience that trauma. Yeah. But you know what I do? What I do wonder, Deidre, is had I not experienced that, who would I be? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I almost feel like um, 
like an erosion happen or something. Um, and it just makes me wonder, would I not be so reserved or so anxious sometimes or so particular about certain things? Like maybe I would have been more outgoing or free spirited. Cause sometimes I do feel like there's this like, um, push pull with inside of me. Like I want to be this free flying bird, but then there's this other person that's like, no, you know? And, and I do wonder like about that with other people who experience trauma and even like how we were describing about us going to South Carolina. I wish we could just get in a car and go to South Carolina and not be thinking about what's going on. But then it's like, I have to be. So I just, I think it's so interesting how it can affect your personality and how you end up becoming a person in this world. 100%. Absolutely, Keisha. I think, you know, uh, particularly childhood trauma, right? Those things that happen in the formative years um, when we're developing our identity and who we are, um, you know, trauma can look very different. If, if you had had that experience when you were in your 20s or 30s, mm-hmm. you would certainly have been impacted but it wouldn't have you know necessarily shifted or set up your personality in some ways, right? right? Um, so I think that that's a, a really significant observation is that that these traumatic incidents, the, these traumas that we experience, um, particularly in childhood, they they have that potential to really kind of shape and mold and, and have um, a significant impact on who we become as, as individuals. Gotcha. Okay. And then my last question is, um, for anyone who is dealing with trauma, rather they are in counseling or not in counseling, um, what are some coping skills or anything that you would recommend to just help someone be able to um, deal or um, manage through the symptoms that they may be experiencing. Yeah, yeah. So I, this can be so vast, and but I think that an important piece to to keep in mind is that um, it can't just focus on the intellectual. It can't just focus on um, words, and you know, as therapists, that that's been a very um, ingrained piece of the work that we do, but the more and more and more research that comes out, the more that we recognize the necessity of incorporating the body, mm-hmm. the mind and the body cannot be separated. Um, but an interesting that a thing that occurs when trauma is stored um, in, in us is that it is actually separate in a lot of ways from our higher order thinking. So our prefrontal cortex, if you could see me, you'd know I was pointing at my forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where our higher order thinking is. But the way that that trauma comes in is that the system gets hijacked and it actually goes to our primitive limbic system. So our, it goes to a lot of the emotion, right? So people were asking you questions, you were reacting emotionally mm-hmm. through the words. Right. Because... There, there are sometimes there aren't words. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes there are, um, and sometimes people can speak about a trauma 
and have absolutely no connection to the emotion because they're not connecting those two pieces. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that they aren't impacted. Yeah. It means they aren't integrated and connected right now. Right. Um, so it needs to, it needs to incorporate your emotions and it needs to involve your body and your, because it's encoded in your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I mean, important things are like, if we're, we're just looking for some things, right. That we can do right now is, um, finding ways to, to ground ourselves in the present moment. Mm. Those are, are really important skills to use. So anything that involves using your five senses, um, it might involve like giving yourself a hug, like feeling, feeling your arms, feel, literally feeling your butt on the chair or your mm. feet on the ground is, mm -hmm. is grounding us in the present. We might, you know, observe what is around us. Certainly taking ourselves into nature is a really powerful piece for, for grounding, like feeling the wind on our skin or the sun, um, listening to birds chirping or whatever the sounds are around us, whatever can bring us into the present moment because remembering that trauma is in the past, mm. right? It, it, it can feel like it's in the present. So if we can take ourselves into the, the real present, then we, we don't have to be imprisoned in that trauma. Mm. Um, but another really important piece is being able to connect with other people. Mm. We are social creatures yeah. and a lot of times the traumas that occur um, are, are relational in nature, right? You spoke a lot about the um, mistrust of, or distrust of men, yeah. understand? Um, so being able to feel safe with other people, and that might be like one really close friend that you have, or maybe you don't have those people in your life. So a therapist can be that person, like creating that, that interpersonal safety, someone who can listen to you and sit with you in your emotions, um, can be so powerful and validating. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are, those are a couple of pieces, um, but um, there's so many different types of treatment, you know, there's, um, EMDR, mm -hmm. um, I know you and I have spoken about mm -hmm. it. It's eye movement, eye movement, um, desensitization, reprocessing. Right. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a little tongue twister. <laughs> um, there's, there are so many different types of therapy. I think that what, um, they all sort of have in common is that we're um, reestablishing a sense of safety um, in relationships, in our own body, right? Reconnecting yeah. with our body. Um, if we think about someone who's experienced a trauma, we might look at someone who maybe is suffering with addiction or um, some type of like self-injury, self-mutilation. Yeah. Um, that's someone who isn't friends with their body, right? right? Um, if, if you love your body and care for your body, um, that's going to look very different. Um, and then also movement. So we don't necessarily have to do um, therapy with a, like a, a mental health professional. It could be yoga. Yeah. It could be um, like there's different like Tai Chi, different type of um, martial arts that are, are wonderful for helping us reconnect. Um, but really like getting your body moving is yeah. so important. 
Um, because our body, if we're not moving, we're we're in, literally embodying that like helplessness, right. that hopeless, holding it in. Mm-hmm. Get up and get moving, whatever that means for you. And so that could be dance, right? Mm. Um, and also things like singing, mm. uh, using or playing like a, a wind instrument, because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot with our breath mm. that we um, can do. Um, if you look at Stephen Forge's work on the polyvagal theory, um, just slowing down our breath can take us from our sympathetic, so that fight or flight place into our um, parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest. Mm. Uh, a really simple thing that, that we can all do is taking a deep inhale in through our nose. So, and then pursing our lips and exhaling, like we're, we're breathing through a straw like this mm. and really slowing and extending that exhale. Mm-hmm. When we do that, we bring that parasympathetic nervous system back online and it allows us to be able to rest, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the traumatized body can be so tense and our breathing can be so shallow too. So even straightening out our posture mm. can open up our chest, our lungs, and allow us to breathe deeper into our bellies. Mm. Because when we're breathing really shallow at the top of our lungs, we're actually communicating to our brain that, that we need to panic. Yeah. yeah. Right? And yeah. so that can, that can trigger a panic attack itself yeah. or even forgetting to breathe. Right, right. Um, so those, those are really important pieces as well. And I mean, we could even get into like how important like nutrition and, um, of course, getting adequate sleep and, and finding ways to, um, improve our sleep and those sorts of things. But it really does require a holistic approach. Mm, right. Um, and you, you and got yoga certified. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's actually why, just doing um, all of the, the, the learning that I've done um, and the reading I've done in the trauma field, you, you, can't, you can't treat trauma without treating the body. And yeah. so much of the work really points towards how, how impactful and how powerful yoga can be. Mm. And I know for myself, I like to think about it as like, a whole body meditation, mm-hmm. right? Because it can be really hard, especially for someone who's experienced trauma, and it can actually be contraindicated to to sit and meditate. Mm. Um, that can be really scary and hard. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so if we can get into our body, that gives us something that we're actually doing, but it's slowing us down. It's teaching us how to breathe, and. It, Interestingly, we can release trauma that's been stored in our body mm-hmm. um, through those movements and through that practice. And I, I could get into even more about like if you're doing a trauma-informed style of yoga, just how empowering it can be too, mm-hmm. and just reclaiming your body and that sense of agency over your body, uh, how powerful that can be as well. Gotcha. Would you? And I'm. I hate to put you on the spot, but. Do you have a book you would recommend for someone? Books? Yeah. I I would I would suggest a lot of books. Um, <laughs> What's like your top I, one, your number one go-to that you would recommend? Okay. So my number one that I would say um, is by um, Dr. Basil Vanderkoek. He um, is kind of like the, the guru in the trauma world. Um, his book, 
the body keeps the score. Mm, mm. You had recommended that one to me. I have that yeah. one. Yeah, that one is a good one. Yeah, that's a great one. And and for anyone who's interested in learning more about how trauma can impact um, us, like physically, like on a chronic disease level, on um, like autoimmune stuff, mm. um, reading work by um, Gabor Mate. Um, I'm like a super fan of his work, but his book, When the Body Says No, hmm. I would highly recommend it um, for people who. Um, yeah, because there's there's so much that we could go into in terms of how when we don't um, um, heal from our trauma, how that trauma can really wreak havoc on our our physical body and manifest in all types of different ways. Um, that uh, I, I, yeah, I would highly recommend that folks dig into that work um, because sometimes that's how people find out that they've had trauma. Yeah, that is true. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Deidre. <laughs> I've been really looking forward um, to this episode and talking about this with you. And you are so well informed on the topic. And I'm so grateful that you are able to provide so much information and resources to listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I, I just hope that I've done justice to um, talking about trauma. There, there's so much to talk about. And um, I, yeah, I really appreciate you creating this space and, and being able to be here today. Yeah.